So we're going to continue in the series. I'm kind of excited. This is my first opportunity to preach kind of in the series. So I've preached a few times this year already, uh, but it's been kind of messages outside of the John series. Uh, and so as Justice was heading out uh, last week, he said, hey, will you preach specifically in John? Uh, so I thought that would be easier uh, just because like, all right, I know the passage because that's always a challenge sometimes to try to figure out where should I preach from God? What do you want me to speak? Uh, to wherever it's here or other churches that we get to travel to. Uh, and so I was like, sweet, I have the, the, the passage to go from. But, but y'all, this has been, a, you know, I, I know Justice has mentioned, Pastor Justice has mentioned that uh, John, someone has said John uh, is like shallow enough, you, kids can get in and splash around, but deep enough to drown an elephant. Uh, and that is for sure. Uh, and so in this passage, just, I mean, I wrestled with it. it I, if I'm just being completely honest with it, even to last night, uh, even this morning, just like, God, what exactly do you want me to say? Uh, and so I believe that uh, he, he's shown that to me. And so we're going to be in John chapter 17, verse 1 through 19. Uh, verse 20 is kind of a transition in Jesus' prayer. Uh, and Pastor Justice is preaching there next week. And he said, you are not allowed to get into that, that section at all. It's actually one of my favorite passages in John. And he knows that. He said, control yourself. So we'll just be in 1 through 19. Uh, and specifically, really, we're just going to look at the first five verses this morning, and then as we kind of close, uh, we'll look at some applications that are in this whole passage. Uh, but this is, uh, it, it, it's a prayer by Jesus, but he's talking to God. It's actually the longest recorded prayer in the gospel of Jesus. And so that's why I think it's so important for us really to pay attention uh, to this. Uh, you know, obviously, most of us probably know what's referred to as the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, uh, and... It is called the Lord's Prayer, uh, but it's really a model for prayer. It's not bad to recite it, it. It's good to recite it, but it was really a model of what prayer should look like. Uh, and so I read one of the commentaries said, this, of all prayers, really is the Lord's Prayer, because he is praying to his Father. It's a really intimate look uh, at some, some feelings Jesus is having, just who he, who he says God is. Uh, and so we're going to look at that this morning. So before we do, uh, let's just read that and then we'll pray and then we'll, we'll jump into it. So again, John chapter 17, verses 1 through 19. I'm reading from the ESV this morning. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. And they have been kept, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All are mine, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. 
I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, and they may, uh, that, they may ha- that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. Let us pray. God, I just thank you, uh, Lord, for this morning. God, I just thank you for, uh, God, the opportunity that we have uh, just to freely gather, uh, just to freely worship you, Lord. Uh, God, just think about places all over the world this morning. Uh, Certainly, obviously, Ukraine comes to mind, but or there's just places all throughout the Middle East, even places in Africa and Asia, God, that, that they are not free to do this. Uh, where, where, God, they, if they want to gather together, they have to do it uh, in hiding. They have to risk their lives just to be together. And so, God, I just pray that we would never uh, take, take for granted the opportunity that we have to, to gather, Lord, as, as your body, as your church. Uh, so, Lord, I just pray for this morning that as we are gathered, whether it's here in this room, uh, whether it's even people online just coming together with us, um, the other parts of the building where, where children are just being ministered to, God, I pray that you would be honored and glorified as we're going to read this morning, God. Pray in the very words that are spoken, it would be uh, your spirit speaking to hearts, to minds, uh, Lord, and that it would lead to transformation, that it wouldn't be just, hey, we're done with church, check that off, but, Lord, we would just take your word that we would meditate on it the rest of today, just on this passage and throughout the week, how you're trying to sanctify us, how you are trying to perfect us to be more like you, Lord, until that day that you return. God, I pray for anyone in this room that does not know you, does not believe in you, God, that uh, they just today as they are confronted with truth, God, as they are confronted with your words, God, that just something would just draw them, and Holy Spirit, it would be you that draws them to you, and that there would be a response, maybe for the first time today. Uh, God, I pray for, for the rest of us, Lord, that, that do have a relationship, that we would do our part to come alongside those, those people that walk into uh, the, the body today, Lord, that we would disciple them, that we would just love them well. God, I pray that we would be a church that loves well, that we would love our community, that we would love our family, our friends, and certainly those that are difficult to love. So God, again, just be with us this morning. We do lift up came in justice to you that they would uh, just be getting rest, uh, just have peace uh, in their souls and their spirit, Lord, and uh, just come back refreshed and excited uh, for what you're doing here at Bayou Tower. So God, we love you. Praise all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. So as I mentioned, this is the, the longest prayer uh, of Jesus recorded in the Gospels. Uh, and so we kind of really get a deeper glimpse into uh, what he's speaking to God. Uh, and so there, just starting in verse 1, he says, When Jesus had spoken these words, uh, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said. And so kind of this is kind of just, you know, when we end our time together, we'll say, let's close in prayer. Uh, and so what this is referring to, uh, that, that uh, when he had spoken these things with these words, this, is really, this, this passage is referred to 
uh, as the upper room discourse uh, or the, the uh, farewell discourse. And so it really starts in, in John chapter 12. Uh, G- Jesus enters Jeru- uh, Jerusalem really uh, to walk to his death. It's, it's a week of uh, just the, the Passion Week is kind of what it's referred to often. Uh, and so in John 13, we see the foot washing, which is in the upper room, and he's dialoguing with them. But then it's in John chapter 14 that kind of the theologians have titled it as the upper room uh, or the farewell discourse. And so when it says, after he said these things, it's referring to these previous three chapters, everything that has been said up to this point. And so now Jesus is kind of putting a bookend on that and saying, hey, let's go to God in prayer. And so he's ending everything that he's just said by going to the Father. Uh, and so sometimes we think, why do we do some of the things we do? But you know, after we have a sermon, then we, we, we go to God. And so Jesus is kind of doing that here uh, in this passage. Uh, and so he starts there and just says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Now the hour has come. What hour? Five o'clock? Six o'clock? He's not referring to an hour on the clock. He's referring to the hour. Uh, and the hour is really his death. The hour is for him to be, to be hung, to be murdered on a cross. He had been warning and telling his disciples up to this point what would come. Uh, and actually five times, just in John, it's in the other Gospels as well, but five times up to this point, it says his hour had not yet come, or his hour would be coming. And so this hour was a future tense. Well, here the hour has come. And Jesus is beginning to say that. He's saying, now is my ministry on earth is complete. I'm ready for this next phase to be glorified, to glorify you, God, and for you to glorify me. And so just to kind of catch a little glimpse, really, as I mentioned, chapter 12 is really Jesus enters, uh, enters into Jerusalem, and this is kind of the, uh, the, the ending of his life, the ending of his ministry. And this is the first place here in John chapter 12 where he shifts and says this hour has come. And so in chapter 12, if you want to flip back uh, a couple pages, John chapter 12, uh, verses 23, he says just that. He says, and Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. So we see that word glorified again, and we're going to look into that here in just a few minutes. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And so he's talking about, he said, my life has to end. My, the seed has to be crushed. And then we know that he didn't stay dead, right? Three days later, he rose, but he's saying so that it can bear fruit. So that's this analogy that he's giving here. Uh, verse 25, whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. This is drawing back to where Jesus uh, said in Luke chapter 14, and there's another passage where he said, he's talking about the cost of discipleship. And he says that if you want to follow after me, you must hate your own life. And now we don't generally think of the word hate associated with Jesus. And so if we look at the, the, what the meaning of that word is, just you cannot love anything. And so he, in Luke 14 there, he says you can't love your family, you can't love anything. And then he says you must even hate or you can't love your life more than anything. So Jesus is using this language again. Uh, verse 26, chapter, uh, John 12, 26. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Uh, and there, uh, I'm sorry, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Verse 27, now is my soul troubled. 
And so Jesus just kind of said, hey, I know what's coming. Uh, we see other times when, when Lazarus died, it says that he was troubled, right? And so we, we see this, just the humanity of Jesus saying, I know what's going to happen in a week's time. And my soul is troubled some. Again, that doesn't mean he's worried, he's not anxious, but he has, he has some of that. But then what does he do? He says, so now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? So he's saying, should I, should I ask for this not to happen? He says, but for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Basically, he's saying, my whole purpose in life has led to this very moment. And verse 28 kind of foreshadows what we see here in John chapter 17. He says, Father, glorify your name. Father, glorify your name. So there in chapter 12, that's the first time that he says the hour has come. So he repeats that now here in his prayer, that the hour has come. That hour is his death. Uh, this is the next phase into really his life, but it was really the end of his life. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Now, we might kind of skip through that, like, yeah, that's cool. But when Jesus said, glorify your son, what, one of the things that he was doing was he was reaffirming his deity or reaffirming that he was God. Uh, and one of the ways he was doing that by saying this uh, is so pretty much all Jews at that point knew the book of Isaiah. The, it, Isaiah was a prophet and they, had, they knew much of it. And specifically in two verses, in Isaiah 42.8 and Isaiah 48.11, uh, Isaiah 42.8 says, I am the Lord, this is God speaking, that is, that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another. So God is saying, I will not glorify another person. Verse 48.11, my glory I will not give to another. And so God here, Old Testament saying, I will not glorify anyone but myself. And so here when Jesus is saying, glorify me, he is claiming I am God. And so at this point, the, the 11 now, and so Further on when it says, have not lost, but the son of destruction, that's obviously referring to Judas, right? So he has the 11 here, and they understand, they understand that he is God. And so he is repeating that back to his father. Kind of another translation of the Bible says, says it this way as far as glorify. It says, show how great your son is, so then I, the son, can show how great you are. And so as, as Jesus just comes before the Father, he's, just, he's, just ple he's speaking truth back to him. This isn't an arrogant thing. This isn't propping himself up. But it says there's a, there's a, a commentary by D.A. Carson. I'd actually encourage you to, if you want to learn more about this passage, John chapter 14 to 17, there's actually a book written by D.A. Carson called The Farewell Discourse and Final Prayer of Jesus. I'd encourage you to check it out. You can get a PDF online. Uh, but he says it this way. He says, when Jesus prays, glorify your son, he is not in some self-centered fashion clutching for honor as men count honor. Far from it. For the entire context prevents such an interpretation. After all, he is asking only for that which, what, which is in eternity past and which he temporarily abandoned in order to take on his saving mission. Moreover, the glory he seeks is by the way of a cross, and it has at its purpose the glorification of the Father and the conversion of man. So think about this for a second. You know, how many times our prayers are selfish, all right? And God wants us to pray 
wants us to bring his needs to him. Several of the last chapters, Jesus specifically say, anything you ask in my name and it will be given to you. And Pastor Justice explained what that means. Or we can go back to the Lord's Prayer. And he, one of kind of the ways he says to pray is for prayer of petition, asking God for things. So it's not wrong or it's not selfish to ask God for things. He wants to be involved even in the smallest aspect of our lives. But I think often our prayers are selfish. How much do we pray for other people? How much do we pray for things that don't benefit us? Uh, and so here what Jesus is doing, he's praying the farthest thing from that. Essentially, Jesus is praying for his murder. He's praying, glorify me, which means let me be on the cross because then I will die but then resurrect. And so this is the opposite. Uh, this is complete selflessness, the way that Jesus is asking his father to bring about what needs to come. And so what we see in, in this language as far as uh, where it said, verse 2, glorify your son that the son may glorify you. There's kind of this, this mutual glorification going on. Uh, if, we, if we look at uh, Philippians chapter 2, 9 through 11, really kind of gives us a good understanding of exactly what, what Jesus is praying about here. So Philippians chapter 2, 9 through 11 says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name. Remember, we just read in Isaiah, we looked at Isaiah 42, where he says, the Lord is my name. And so here it's saying that Lord has been, that name Lord has been given to Jesus. Uh, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. Why? To, to the glory of God the Father. To the glory of God the Father. So what we see in this passage in Philippians that we just read, what we see in this prayer uh, is just full understanding of Jesus that his entire existence on earth, right? Not his entire existence. God, he wasn't born in heaven and then sent down. He's always existed. But his existence here on earth, his entire existence, his life, his, his birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection is solely for the purpose of giving glory and honor to God. His sole purpose of being on this earth and going through everything that he went through is to give honor and glory to his Father. And fellow brothers and sisters as believers, that should be our same goal as well. That should be our purpose. Everything that we do, everything we listen to, everything we say, everything we think should be for the sole purpose of bringing honor and glory to God. And if you're saying, well, Jesse, that's, that's a tall order. It is a tall order, and that's why Jesus had to die on the cross, because we fall short of that, and we need to repent and ask forgiveness when, when, we, when we don't do that. Uh, but, but Jesus said this in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 16. He said that. He said, let your light shine before men so that they may see your works and what? Glorify your Father or give glory to our Father in heaven. So he's saying here, everything that we do should be for the sole purpose of people seeing how you live your life, saying, man, there is a God. God is good. Jesus does save. Jesus does transform. That's the, that was what the life of Jesus did. And for followers of Christ today, that should be our main purpose today. Everything that we do to honor and glorify him. So Jesus goes on and he, in verse 2. He says, since you have given uh, him, and again, he's talking here in third person, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all 
whom you have given him. So Jesus is saying, you have given me authority over all flesh. Uh, and so if we look all throughout Scripture, we know that true biblical authority is not to be given to abuse that authority. It is not to be authoritative. Uh, in fact, Jesus says, uh, as we just read in, Matthew, uh, in John chapter 12 and other places, that in fact Jesus said, I did not come uh, to be served, but to serve. And so true authority is serving others. True being, being, being a follower of Christ is all about serving others. Others And so then what, why did God give Jesus all authority? He, the purpose of that authority here in verse 2 is to give eternal life. To give eternal life. And so Jesus is firstly recognizing that all of his authority comes from God. It's not because of, of anything else except that God has willed and God has, has, has purposed for him to have that authority. So he's recognizing that his authority comes from God. Uh, he says throughout John, he says that I don't even speak words other than what the Father speaks to, to me. Uh, so everything that he is just fully submitted. And he has this authority, where it says, over all flesh, over all things. And so that means, who does that mean? Does that mean just believers know? Jesus, God, have authority over all things, even those that don't recognize his authority. And sometimes I think we see like what's, what's going on in the world, and we're like, oh my gosh, what is happening? Like, oh my, like, none of this is a surprise to God. Like, none of it is happening without God's kind of stamp of approval. So maybe take that and say, so even all these bad things? Yeah, God is allowing these things to happen. God is there, and it's because of, originally, sin entered the world. And as a result, as a result we're walking through the things that we're walking through today. But, but God isn't just up there like, hmm, I wonder how things are going to turn out. I wonder how this war in Ukraine is going to end up. No, God knows all these things. God has authority over everything. And that is why, that's why it's one of our responsibilities and duties is to pray to God, to ask him, to seek his counsel, to seek his wisdom. So he has all authority. Whether people submit to that or not, he has that authority, right? You can tell, some maybe you've said to your parents, like, you might not like it or whatever, but I'm still your parent. Has anybody ever said that, right? And it's just because, like, you're still, you still have that authority, whether people like it or not. You know, so, so this is really not as far as this idea of um, that, that Jesus came to give eternal life. This actually isn't the first time that we see this. Uh, let's actually flip back to John chapter 3. Uh, so, like I said, we've been in John chapter, uh, in the book of John. Uh, so like this would probably be like three years ago we were in chapter three. Um, not really. If you're new here, you're like, man, you've been here. It just, this was a, a, a series that was supposed to be so many weeks, and it's just there's so much depth. Uh, we've just been in it a while. Uh, but if you don't remember, all the way back in John chapter three, uh, verse 35 and 36, really he's, he's saying a lot of these things throughout the gospel of John that he's praying now. But in 35 and 36, it says, the Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. So we see this echo that He's been given all authority, and what's the purpose of that authority? Is to give eternal life. And then whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. And so that's speaking to that point that even if people don't accept it, His authority does not disappear. His in-chargeness, if you will, does not determine, is not determined by, by people saying, yeah, I submit to that or not. God has supreme authority. 
Jesus has supreme authority, but it's to give eternal life. It's to give eternal life to all men is what it says here. Uh, And then also just two chapters later in chapter 5, verses 24 through 7 through 27. It says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Whoever who hears the words that I'm speaking and believes that God sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. And so referencing back to chapter 3, those that accept him pass from death to life. Verse 25, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming. Okay, remember, this is one of those references where he says this hour is coming. Here in chapter 17, we're at that hour. But an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. And so what this is, what I'm trying to kind of help us see there is what Jesus is praying here. This is things that has, if we look back at his whole ministry, that he has kind of given bits and pieces here and there. And in this prayer, Jesus is just bringing it all together. Uh, obviously, his, the 11 are hearing this, but he's also just kind of reaffirming it back to God, right? Uh, uh, Nathan, I think, just said, like, say we want to hear the voice of God, we'll read God's word. And so that's, this is kind of what Jesus is doing. He's just saying God's words back to him. And so he is able, Jesus is able to stand in that place because he's been given authority of life. Uh, I'd encourage you uh, to go back in December. Uh, we, we did pause the John series in December uh, to, to kind of do uh, sermons that were focused around the Christmas time. Uh, those were all incredible ser- uh, sermons. The one specifically around the virgin birth speaks to a lot of this, why uh, Jesus had the authority he ha- had, why he was God, why it had to happen those ways. Uh, but, but this idea that, that Jesus had to be given that authority over all life so that he could stand in our place. He had to be perfect so that he could stand in our place. And if he wasn't given all authority over all life, then what he did on the cross would not cover all of humanity. But because God gave him all authority, what he did on the cross covers all of humanity. Whether you're in this room, whether you're listening, whether you're listening to the recording of this, whether you can't even hear this, what Jesus did on the cross, because God gave him all authority, he covered for all of humanity on the cross I don't want to get too lost in the weeds here, but just uh, if you have the ESV, the, the, the title of this passage is probably the High Priestly Prayer. Uh, if you have other translations, it might not have that title. It might uh, have other things. But if you're wondering, like, all right, where's this whole high priestly thing come in? Uh, we know in Hebrews it refers to Jesus as the high priest that now stands in for us. But as I was digging into this and studying this, there's just incredible parallels between this and the high priest uh, of the Old Testament. So I would just want to go down that road for just a second. Um, the, the high priest, as we know for Israel, was, was the one priest that once a year was able to go into the Holy of Holies in the temple. And so the holy, there, were outer, there was an outer court, there was an inner court, and then there was the Holy of Holies. Uh, in that Holy of Holies was literally the presence of God. So before Jesus died and resurrected, the Holy Spirit was not living in people. 
The Holy Spirit would come on people. The Holy Spirit engaged and worked in people's lives. In, John, uh, in Genesis chapter 1-2, it says that the Spirit of God hovered over the earth. So the Holy, same Holy Spirit that we have living inside of us today was the same Holy Spirit before existence, and so in the whole Old Testament. But because the Holy Spirit had not been sent, which Pastor Justice has talked the last couple weeks, Jesus promised, I will send the Holy Spirit. That happened at Pentecost. Pentecost. So today we have the Holy Spirit as believers in Christ. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. So they had to go into the Holy of Holies. It was literally the presence of God was in there. Uh, And they were so afraid of the presence of God, largely or partly because uh, when they would carry the Ark of the Covenant, uh, from place to place, uh, there was one, they were not allowed to touch the Ark of the Covenant. They, there were poles that ran through it, uh, and it was four guys on either side that they'd carry this thing. But one time they were walking, the, the, they stumbled and it started to fall. One of the priests went up to grab it, and he dropped dead. Because God told them, do not touch it. So you can understand why they were, had this fear, uh, and all throughout the Old Testament, they had this, this fear of, of just the reverence of God to obey his commands. And so I'll say that going into the, pres- the, the Holy of Holies, they had like such just like, what's going to happen, that they actually tied a rope to the priest's foot and had a little bell on it. So if something happened in there, they could drag him out. Because all that's what I'm trying, that's probably not super relevant. But they, there was this Holy of Holies. And so once a year, on the Day of Atonement, or the Jewish is Yom Kippur, they would go, the, the, the high priest would go into there once a year to atone for the sin of Israel. And now there were very strict rules of what that, how that atonement take, had to take place as far as specific sacrifices, specific rituals that went into that. And so a few parallels and why the, part of the reason why this is sometimes referred to as the high priestly prayer is because Jesus is, is explaining here in John chapter 17 how he is standing in our place for our sin. So we no longer have to worry about the day of atonement. We no longer have to worry about animal sacrifices because Jesus was the sinless, perfect lamb and was able to stand in our place. But if you look into like even some specific uh, uh, imagery here in John chapter 17, well, one, there were, as I mentioned, there were very strict rules laid out in Leviticus for the Day of Atonement. Uh, and Jesus says that multiple times here in John 17. I have done everything that you told me. I have followed all of your commandments. So he's saying, I have, I, have, I have done everything that you have asked me, God. And then specific in, in Leviticus 16, uh, in verse 4, so Aaron, who was the first high priest, uh, he was to bathe before he went into the Holy of Holies. Well, what just happened in John chapter 13? Jesus washed the disciples' feet. And so there's this, this imagery of, 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 of some of these things. In, in Leviticus chapter 16, verse 6 and 11, there was a bull had to be sacrificed and the blood sprinkled, first for himself, then family. And so Jesus draws on some of that imagery as he's instituting the Lord's Supper uh, here in the upper room, uh, this idea. Uh, and then, as I said, Aaron prayed, uh, did a sacrifice first for himself and then family. And actually, if we look at this prayer, the first five verses are really Jesus praying about himself, and then really six uh, through the end of 26 are about his, the body, believers, his family. Uh, so all that to say, Jesus is just reaffirming that, hey, I am about to go stand in the place for all of humanity because I have been granted all authority. We're going to skip over verse 3, and we're going to... Uh, 
we're going to kind of end up there today. But if we keep reading in verse 4, he says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Again, just saying, hey, I have done everything that you have commanded, for one, and it was God's purpose. It was God's purpose. We see that uh, here, actually. Uh, so he, le- he, he goes from this prayer to they're in the garden, and he goes off to pray. And he specifically says that. Lord, you're not, not my will, but yours. And so Jesus is saying, look, I, God, I've done everything that you have commanded me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Again, speaking to his deity, he's claiming here that he exists out time, outside of time and space. Let's go back to chapter, uh, verse 3 for a few minutes. Let me read it again. And this is eternal life. So we asked, so what, how do we get eternal life, right? People, that, there's been movies about, there's been an Indiana Jones movie about the, the Holy Grail, right? Pursuing this eternal life. If you haven't seen that movie, uh, you go back and you watch some of the graphics. You're like, man, things have come, come far. But, right, there's this like human pursuit of not dying. There, there's, this, there's just something there that where people are like, well, I'm afraid to die. That's thing, when, we're, when, our, when our future is secure in who Jesus is, we don't have to have that fear. We don't have that fear because we have eternal life in Jesus. And so just in case we're not clear, so what is eternal life? He spells it out here. It says that they would know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Whom you have sent. So this idea of knowing God... Uh, Flip, flip back to 1 John. First John, uh, verse 5, 20, says this, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. So this idea of, of knowing, so that we may know Him who is true, and we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Uh, and so that kind of last tag down, like, okay, that, like, what, it, yeah, the idol thing. Like, where, so they live, so obviously, Old Testament, but still, even in New Testament, they lived in a very polytheistic culture, meaning many gods. Uh, if you've done any study, you know, Greek and Roman gods, mythology. Uh, in fact, in Acts, we can read several times where there were revolts against the apostles because the apostles, as they preached the one true living God, were, were taking away from business uh, from the people that would make these statues. They were drawing people outside of these human-made gods' temples to go worship in the temple of the one true God. And so Jesus, again, here, as he's praying this, is just saying, look, it's not just belief in a God. Eternal life isn't just what's good for you is good for you. It's not, hey, we all find our way. No, Jesus is declaring here what he said earlier, that I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And he's saying, to what? To the one true God. Maybe you're listening here this morning like, that's a little closed-minded. Well, one, we didn't make the rules. God has all authority. God is all sovereign. That's how God made it. And he also provided us an opportunity to be in relationship with him. But two, that claim of exclusivity, where Jesus is the only way, all major religions have a claim of exclusivity. No religion says, yeah, they're all the same. They all have, in fact, 
Three of the, uh, four of the five main religions don't even have the, same, uh, etern- have the same understanding of eternity. So to say what's good for you is good for you, one, you can't believe that to be a, a follower of God, a, a follower of Christ, but also it just, doesn't, it just doesn't add up. And so Jesus is saying here that true eternal life comes through the only, not A, the only true God. And it's about knowing him. So salvation is not simply just knowledge of God, all right? There's lots of uh, theology, or there's lots of professors of religion at many secular schools all across the world. Some of them are probably saved, but the majority of them, they know the Bible very well, but they, they, don't, they don't know God. They don't know God in that way. Uh, and this is what jo- uh, Jesus is speaking to uh, in John chapter 5. Uh, he speaks really to the same idea that it's not just about knowing about, but it's truly knowing. So it's not just memorizing as much scripture and saying, oh, that's it. it's about truly knowing, have an intimate, personal relationship, surrender to God. Uh, and he's speaking against that here in chapter 5, verse 39. He says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. So he's saying, you're looking to Scripture to try and have this eternal life, but all of Scripture bears witness about me, says that I am the Son of God. But verse 40, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Like you're spending all this time and energy trying to to memorize Scripture when you're completely missing the obvious that, hello, I am the Messiah. The, The very people that should have known Jesus was the Messiah, the best, rejected him. They're the ones that murdered him. So he's speaking. So it's not just about, it's not just about seeking this. It's not about just studying. Verse 41, I do not re- receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. And that's, that, those are some fighting words, right? You do not have the love of God within you because they knew about God. They didn't know God. I have come, verse 43, I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. I mean, like if someone else is coming and just teaching these watered-down teachings, and it's about receiving glory for themselves, right? Why? Because the whole point of Jesus' life was to give glory to who? Not himself, to God, right? And so he's in these people coming and give glory to themselves, and you're like, cool with that. You accept that. He says, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Verse 45, do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. See, they were so fixated on the law, they were so fixated on the Old Testament that they were trying to live by that, so they were going to die by that. Because man cannot live to be good enough. Right? That's why Jesus had to come. Jesus wasn't a backup plan. But Jesus was, was the show of, look, y'all need me. That would be God saying that. God would say, y'all need me. I think we're going to get to heaven and God will have a southern accent. He said, y'all need me. That's why I had to send Jesus, because you can't obey the law. Verse, uh, verse 46, for if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. So he's saying, even these things that you think you're following, you're so blind that you're just missing the obvious. Because you're so focused on yourself. 
Verse 47, but if you do not believe his writing, how will you believe my word? The very word of God was Jesus himself. What Jesus is saying here, what he's praying, is we cannot know God without knowing Jesus. We cannot know God without, Je- without knowing Jesus. We can know about God as the Pharisees, as lots of people in this world try to get through life. But if we do not know who Jesus is, if we do not admit that we are fallen and broken and we are not good people, God's word says, that's not me, okay? No, man, the pastor said, I'm not a good person. No, God's word says that. It says that we have all fallen short. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. So we can know about God, but if we don't know Jesus, we will never know God. And so then, maybe begs the question, so then who is Jesus? How do we get to know him? So whether you don't know him, here's some like basics, or if we do know him, here are things just to pour into that we see here uh, in this passage and that we just need to cling on to. The first is, so who is Jesus? One, Jesus is God. Uh, Verse 1, really verse 5, even in verse 11, Jesus is saying that in this prayer, saying that I am God. Right? We can look to John chapter 1, verse 1. So the very first verse in in John's gospel says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Nothing was created without the Word. And so what the Word is, is referring to, is Jesus. Jesus is the Word. Jesus is God incarnate. Or what's God incarnate here on earth? And Jesus is the Word. Jesus is God. The one true living God. Second, Jesus is submitted to the Father. And so if we're trying to get to know Jesus and it's leading us to anything else but submission to the Father, then you're not truly pursuing after Jesus. If our pursuit of Jesus is not leading to a submission of God and a submission to Him, we're not pursuing Jesus. And he says that in verse 1. He recognizes God the Father. We don't have time to get into it this morning, but there's actually amazing parallels between the Lord's Prayer, what we refer to as the Lord's Prayer, and here, right, that one verse... Uh, Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Submission to the Father. Who else is Jesus? Well, one, Jesus has, I guess it's number three, because I've said, Jesus has authority. And he says that since you have given him authority over all flesh. And so the fact that Jesus has authority, what does that mean? It means that we can bring anything to Jesus. I said earlier, we don't want to have selfish prayers. If all our prayers are just about ourselves, we need to get outside of ourselves. But Jesus has all authority on heaven, uh, on earth and in heaven. Uh, he says that earlier in the gospel. He says, you know, if you, if you as earthly parents know how to good gifts, give good gifts, how much more will your Father in heaven not give good gifts? And so we can go to him with anything. So he has all authority as far as going to him in prayer, but also, right, Jesus' word. So that means that all of Jesus' word is authority. If we go through God's word and just take out bits and pieces, then God's word does not have authority in our life. We can't pick and choose. Are there challenging parts of God's word? Absolutely. Are there some passages that make it like, man, that's tough? Absolutely. 
But just because we can't stomach it or just because we don't understand it doesn't mean that it, does not, it cannot have authority in our life when we make decisions. Are we submitting it to the authority of God's word? Jesus has all authority. Since you've given me all authority and all flesh to give eternal life. So Jesus is Savior. Jesus is not a Savior. He's the Savior. Right earlier, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And so to recognize Jesus is the Savior, we must recognize that we need a Savior. And if we just believe that Jesus has all authority, so God's word is all authority, then we only have to get a few chapters into this thing called earth to realize we need God. We need a Savior. Because on our own, on our own, on our, based on our own decisions, we will not choose to follow him. We need a Savior. Verse 5, And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Again, a claim of deity, but also saying that Jesus is eternal. Eternal meaning there's no beginning, there's no end. Operates outside of time and space. If you ever watched years ago on Netflix, it's still on Netflix, but The Flash, uh, it's like you start thinking, like kind of explains that like there's this outside, other dimension of outside or time and space that's hard for our finite brains to understand infinite, infinite things, infinite things. But that's what Jesus is saying here. Hey, I didn't have a beginning. I didn't have an end. When I die on the cross, that's not it. That I have always existed. Jesus is eternal. Verse 12, Jesus is talking about, hey, uh, while I was with them, I kept them. These are the eleven in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the one that was supposed to be lost, to fulfill Scripture. So Jesus is protector. Jesus is protector. Why do Christians die? I guess Jesus isn't a protector. No, no, because he protects our eternal soul. Paul says it this way. He says, to die is gain. But sometimes we think, well, man, why do bad things happen? Or why did, why did my aunt die of cancer? Why do, why do bad things happen to, to Christians? Because, if I can just be blunt, because this, this world is junk. Right? That's why bad things happen. But Jesus is protector. He, our, 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 our hope, our trust can be in him alone. Because he is protector. And the last thought about who is Jesus before we wrap up and look at then who is God. So if we know who is Jesus, these things, verse 17 is he proclaims truth. Jesus is and proclaims truth. Verse 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Again, this goes back to John 1.1. Who is the word? The word is Jesus. And so Jesus is talking about here the word of God, but he's also talking about himself. Sanctify them in me, Father. Because I am truth, is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is truth. He proclaims it, and he is truth. And we must know Jesus to know the way to God. Not because I said so, not because I've devised some formula, but because Jesus said that. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. So how do we get to God? Knowing Jesus. Who is Jesus? We just laid out several things. All of the Gospels, really all of God's Word is about who Jesus is. The whole Old Testament, you don't read much about Jesus, but the entire Old Testament is leading us to Jesus. 
are not separate. It's not a history book and then the Gospels. It's all about Jesus. So if we say, okay, yes, I need a Savior. That is who I want to know is Jesus. That is then how we get to God. So who is Jesus? Then who is God? First, God is Father. Right? Jesus starts that. The very first word in this prayer is Father. The beginning of the Lord's Prayer is our Father who art in heaven. Maybe you're saying, well, yeah, Jesus, uh, Jesse, God was Jesus' Father. Or maybe you're in here and you don't have a great understanding of Father because of an earthly Father. Whether you're here or listening, maybe you need to hear this, that God is the perfect Father. God will not let you down. God will not leave. God is Father. And not just to Jesus. And we can see that very clearly uh, in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 through 7. It says this, But when the fullness of time had come, or it can be translated as at the set time, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. Why? So that we might receive adoption as sons. Maybe you're thinking, I'm not a son, I'm a daughter. What about, what about the ladies in the room? Well, if we look actually at the, the, the word that was used here, adoption as sons, was actually a Roman legal term referring to having full legal standing as that of a male heir. Not meaning that, hey, if I follow Jesus, only men can follow Jesus. No, Jesus is saying that when we choose to follow, when we, when we respond to his call and we, we follow after him, we are giving you the same standing as, a, as an heir uh, of, of, of a family. And what does that mean? The, first, the, the heir was given everything. And so he's saying you were adopted and God holds nothing back from you. And verse 6, he says, and because... You are these adopted sons. God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Which can be translated almost like Daddy, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. God is Father. Not just to Jesus. To all that call on his name. God is Father. God is omnipresent, meaning he's always there. Jesus didn't have to say, okay, uh, I'm done talking, let's go into the Holy of Holies. No, he just, right there, he began to pray to his Father. Because, and we can do the same thing today. Again, kind of referring back to the high priest, Jesus was able to do this right here because he was the high priest, but we are able to do this today because of the Holy Spirit. God is omnipresent, he is always there. We just have to call on him. We just have to talk to him. We just have to listen. Prayer is not just talking, right? Prayer is listening. I would say actually prayer is more listening than it is talking. Verse 2, since you have given all authority. Well, to give something, I have to have something, right? If I say, hey, I want to I give you a million bucks. Okay, we're, oh, oh, I don't have it. Like, how are you going to give me a million bucks? Right? You have to have something. So for God to give Jesus authority, it means that God has to have that authority to give. And that authority is what makes him sovereign. 
the idea of sovereign, is that God doesn't have to okay things. There's no checks and balances. Just God is God. God is God. He is sovereign. God is eternal. We see that here in verse 2. To give eternal life. Again, how does someone give eternal life if they don't have eternal life? God is eternal life. Which is then why he can bestow that on Jesus to give to us. God is eternal. Again, he always was, he always will be. God is personal. Verse 3, and this is where we talk about this difference between knowing about and knowing. Verse 3, uh, and this is eternal life, that they know you and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This Greek word, know, it's the same Greek word in Luke chapter 1, verse 34, where it said Mary did not know a man or did not know Joseph. And it's the same word when they translated the Old Testament into Greek, referred to as a Septuagint. It's the same Greek word that uh, in, in Genesis chapter 4.1, where it says Adam knew Eve. It's an intimacy. It's not, a, it's not just a sexual thing. It's an intimacy. It's knowing someone as well as you can possibly know someone. It's about intimacy. That word intimacy, I've heard it described this way. It's intimacy is into me you see. It's allowing God to see into our life. He sees us, but it's recognizing that. And it's us giving everything to God. Every possible thing, just like in a marriage. Right? What's, 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 what's hers is hers, what's mine is hers, that type of thing. No. But right, it's we, we surrender everything to God. That's what it means to know Him. This idea of knowing Him here and this Greek word that is used is not just, yeah, I know God. It's knowing followed by obedience. It's belief followed by obedience. It's belief followed by action. It's belief followed by faith even when we can't see Him. That's what this word know means. And it's a personal thing. It's an intimate thing. God is personal. God is God is deeply concerned with the smallest and deepest part of your life. And the last one is simply this, that God is love. God is love. We see that in verse 3. And this is eternal life, that that they know you, only true God in Jesus Christ. And where do we see love in there, right? John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. It's not the earth, It's not the things of the world. It's every person that would ever walk on this planet. God loved us. God loved you. God loved me so much that he sent his son, Jesus. He didn't create his son and then send him to Jesus always existed. He sent his son to be born of a virgin, to be ridiculed, to be hated, to be beaten, and ultimately murdered here on earth, because he loved us that much. God is love. First John talks all about that. See, knowing God leads to belief in God. And belief to God leads to belonging to God. So this morning... I don't know exactly what God is speaking to you this morning. I don't know where you are spiritually. But God does know. And he 
He loves you. He's there for you. And the way to Him is through His Son, Jesus Christ. And as Jesus was praying this prayer, He was thinking of us. I won't get into verse uh, verse 20. I'll let Justice, Pastor Justice, do that next week. But as Jesus was in this time talking to the Father, because He was all-knowing, because He was eternal, meaning operates outside of time and space, meaning, I can't explain it, but in this moment He was praying this, He saw today, right now. He saw tomorrow. He saw a thousand years from now. If we're still, still here on earth, He saw everything. And as we're going to see next week, that He prayed for us. Because He loves us. And this prayer was was the precursor to him willingly laying down his life. Right? He said, he, said he, could have, he could have called down legions of angels to fight back the greatest Roman army. And in fact, in the garden, Peter tries to, to literally physically intervene, cuts off the ear of a guard. And in that moment, Jesus has grace, has love, compassion, picks up the guy's ear, says, sorry about that, and back on. Because Jesus has grace, has love, and he willingly laid down his life for you, for me, and for everyone. God, I just thank you this morning. Lord, I thank you for who you are. Jesus, we're, we're getting ready to celebrate uh, here in, in a few weeks. God, just what would happen just mere days after you prayed this prayer. You weren't tricked into doing it. You weren't coerced. Jesus, you were led like a lamb to the slaughter. God, we thank you that because of, God, who you are, that you are all-powerful, that you are all-sovereign, that three days later, God, you rose your son from the dead, completing his purpose here on earth to bring salvation for all who would know and believe. God, I pray for anyone in here that if they think knowing and believing in you is, is like what we read about a few chapters earlier where it's just about reading the Bible or just coming to church just to be able to say, yeah, I know about God. Lord, I pray that you would just help them move past that. Really lies they've been told in the past, but that's not what it is to be in relationship with you. It's about surrender. It's about enduring the hardships that, Jesus, you prayed about for us in this passage. It's about having that hope that we talked about last week in the midst of just walls crumbling down around us. Jesus, you never promised that this world would be easy. Back in John 16, you said that we will face 
trials and tribulations here on earth. But you didn't just tell us that ominously. You said, but do not fear. I have overcome the world. And Jesus, your very last words before you rose into heaven said, you are with us to the very end of the age. And so God, I'm just praying this morning your words back to you. They're not my promises. They're not clever sayings from me. God, it is your word. You say that you were able to keep those that trust their life to you. You say that you love us, will never forsake us. That you have a plan and a purpose for us. You created us to do good works. And those works that will glorify you. So God, I just pray for our church that that, Lord, we would be a body of believers that just embodies that, God, just that we would live so fully and so surrendered to you that people might not even know our church name, God. They would just know you. Lord, I pray for the the husbands, for for the, the wives in this room, God, that they would be men and women of God, Lord, that as as maybe they raise their children, God, that they would just point them to you. Not to know about, but truly to know. God, that the, the children in this building would just see moms and dads just honoring you with their lives, with their marriages, with their finances, with their time. So, Lord, that they would grow up to be the next generation just of amazing disciples, the followers of you. So Jesus, I just thank you for giving us a glimpse into how you went before your Father. We do believe and we do confess that you are, Jesus, you are Lord. You are Savior. And God, we just pray that everything that has happened today, we pray that as we walk out of these doors, everything we do would glorify you. God, we thank you for who, who you are. We thank you for the, the fact that you were the God yesterday, you're the God today, and you're the God that always will be. So we love you. We pray all these things in your mighty and powerful name. Amen. Church, it's been an honor to, to be with you today. I uh, pray that God has, has spoken to you, and I just pray that something that, that just stuck out to you today, you would have some conversation on the way home. Talk with you, pick your kids up and Ask them, what did you learn in in church today? And they say, this is what I learned. Getting God's word together with them. If you have plans to watch a show this afternoon, take 10 minutes of that time and get in God's word. You will not regret it. Church, you guys have a wonderful day. Look forward to seeing you uh, tonight for prayer.